Well, I send greetings from our senior pastor, and um, got to see him a couple times this week. Got to see him on Valentine's Day. I brought him a rose, and uh, he is doing really, really well. Uh, no complications in the surgery. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, when I met with him, he said, I'm out of pain. And I go, well, of course you're out of pain. You're on drugs. <laughs> he goes, no, David, I've been on drugs for months, <laughs> and I've been in pain, and I'm out of pain. So he's just praising God even that he can get some respite off of pain. So we thank God for that. And uh, he's already home, went home on Friday, passed all his tests of walking and climbing up steps. And uh, he's at home. I'm sure he'll have some rehabilitation to go through. But he's doing extremely well, extremely well. So we praise God for that. We're starting a new series, and uh, you can see over here, it's in the know, and this will be up for eight weeks, and we'll be going through this series in the book of 1 John, and we titled it In the Know, and as I was thinking about how can I introduce the series to you, I thought the best way to do it would be to tell you a story. Now, I have to tell you from the beginning, it's a story that's not going to look very good on me, <laughs> kind of self-reporting Sunday here, but uh, it's a story that kind of uh, uh, gives you the illustration nonetheless. I've uh, been married for about ten and a half years. Before you're married, you get engaged, and uh, I followed in that process. And so when I was falling in love with my wife, um, uh, I had these, like, rules. <laughs> I went to, like, this uh, Bible college, a really conservative Christian college, and, you know, I grew up not in the church, and then I went to the school that's ultra-conservative, and so I'm like, oh, that must be, like, how you live for Jesus. And th they had big rules, like a lot of rules, you know. And so... Um, uh, my poor wife, we're dating each other, and, and she or she is, it's kind of, a, I look back on it, and I feel really bad for her, but, and, you know, she has to, like, you know, uh, I'm the one who gets to know everything, I'm the one who gets to pop the question, I'm the one who gets on a knee, buys a ring, and I'm kind of in control of the whole situation, looking back on it now, but I, I didn't know at the time, I just thought that's the way it should be, and, and so I had this one rule that I would never tell anybody who wasn't my wife that I love them. It's a bad rule. I, it doesn't, doesn't make much sense. And, and so the poor girl is thinking to herself, I'm falling in love with this guy. He, you know, he won't tell me when, when he's going to pop the question, and he won't tell me he loves me. And so how do I have any assurance at all that, that, that he's committed to this thing? And, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't want to tell you when I'm going to pop the question because that has to be a surprise, right? Just like on the movies, right? You have to not know that it's coming, and then, and then I'll ask you to marry me, Right? And she's thinking, I'm like falling in love with this guy. How do I have any insurance? And so how do you, uh, when she's searching for answers and I'm searching for a way to make it a surprise, how do you propose to your future wife in such a way that you can um, keep the surprise? Well, I'll tell you what this genius did. <laughs> I decided that what I would do is I would have a fight with her the week before I asked her to marry me. And I had the, the, like a big fist, like a big... In my pocket was the ring. The box ring was in my pocket. And so I know I'm going to ask her that week. And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll get in a big fight with her, and then she'll never know it's coming, right? That's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. I told you it was going to look good on me. <laughs> and so I, we joke, we often joke that, like, God had to take control of my wife, that, or else I wouldn't be married right now. I mean, I just, I've never been really good with the whole woman thing. It just needs to work out one time, and it worked, and we're there, you know? But... So here I go, I'm in this fight, and she, I, I want to know that if you love me, you won't tell me you love me, you won't tell me if we're going to ever get married, you won't tell me anything. I said, you need to trust Jesus. <laughs> so I made it spiritual, right? <laughs> a 
Little did I know that she would do that. She would go and trust Jesus and go home that night and start praying, maybe you should take him out of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine what if she would have said no when I asked her to marry me? That would have been horrible. So anyway, all that be to say, um, fellas, young guys out there, I do not recommend that tactic. <laughs> not the best thing to do. And I look back now and I, I realize, hey, you know, I could have told her I loved her and, and, and those things and give her some assurance along the way. But here I am valuing surprise, and here she is valuing knowledge. I just want to know. Would you tell me what's going on? I just want to know. I just want to be in the know. And so what we're doing is we're taking a series, we're calling it In the Know, and we're going to go through the book of 1 John, and we're going to talk about how you can know that you have salvation, how you can know that you have eternal life. We get it from the verse, uh, 1 John, don't go there, I'll read it to you, chapter 5, verse 13, it's kind of like the key verse for the whole book. It's a five-chapter book, and there's one key verse. And what he says is, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. We want you to be in the know. We want you to have assurance that you have salvation. And this book is kind of, the whole book is written about if you have come to know Christ, at regeneration, the Spirit of God comes inside of you and starts making you a different person. So that the Bible would call you a new creation. You become a new person. And so if your pinky finger starts doing something that's uh, contrary to God, the Spirit of God convicts you and produces the right life in you. And so this book, 1 John, is filled with a whole bunch of list of items. If you know God, this should be evident in your life. And so for the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at, are you in the know? Do you know for sure that you know Christ? That's where we're going to be going. And today we're going to be asking two questions. One is, John, who gives you the right to speak up anyway? And where will your teaching lead us? Who says we should listen to you, John? And if we do listen, what will happen? Anyone can talk, but are you speaking from experience? And how will following your teaching take me from darkness to light? Open your Bibles to 1 John. If, you don't, if you're visiting us and you don't have a Bible, there's one right in front of you. I'd encourage you to take it out. Go to the first, second, or third page. There's a little index there. It'll tell you what First John, what page it's on. And go there with us. We're going First John chapter 1. We want you to know that we don't just preach whatever we want to say. We preach things from the Bible. So you can hold us to it. All right? We're in the book of First John. And the first thing we're going to look at is speaking truth from experience. John is speaking truth from experience. He's not making this stuff up. He's speaking truth from experience. Look at verse 1 of 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning, concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Speaking truth from experience. John is speaking truth from experience. He says, here's the situation. I'm writing to you the things that I've seen, I've touched, 
I've heard things that have been revealed to me. I was with Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I heard what he said. All I'm telling you is the things that he told me. I'm not making this stuff up. I, it didn't come out of my imagination. I was with him. I have eyewitness accounts. I'm, I'm speaking from experience. And he's making a big deal about it. He says, I touched him one time. He said, I heard him two times. He says, it's been revealed to me two times. He said, I've seen it with my own eyes four times in that section. What is he saying? He says, we are not making this up. We were there. We saw Jesus. We saw him resurrected. There was 500 other people that saw him resurrected as well. Go ahead and ask them. We have proof. They're still around. People are still alive that saw him. We, we're not telling you anything different than what we saw. And you can check on it. It's not our imagination. Don't you love it how people will say things like, the Bible, you know, it's, uh, it was uh, leaders who, 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 who told things to their disciples, who told things to their disciples, who told things to their disciples, and then like 100 years later, it's finally written down. And it's like telephone, right? You start with one idea, you go to this person, goes to this person, this person, this person, this person. When it comes back around, it's a whole different story, right? So you can't possibly rely on the Word of God because it's like telephone. But obviously here, that's not what's going on. John is writing to people. And he says, I saw it, and I'm writing to you in a first century setting. You're, 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 you're new converts to the faith, and I'm trying to make sure that you guys don't go off the deep end. There's new teachings coming from this way, false teachers coming from this way. I'm telling you what Jesus told me. There's no time for a legend or a myth to, to happen. There's not 100 years. No, right now, right now, you need, you need to know what Jesus taught, and I'm telling you right now. It's not my imagination. I'm telling you what I've heard, what I've seen, what I touched, what was revealed to me. And what is he telling them? Look at verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And what does he mean by that? And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I'm reporting to you two things. He goes, these are the reason, two reasons why I'm reporting to you. The first one is in order that you might have fellowship with us. And then he clarifies that. I want you to have fellowship with us. I want you, you guys, I want you to know what we know. I want you to have fellowship with our teaching. I want you to have fellowship with us. And by the way, we have fellowship with God. So if you have fellowship with us in our teaching, you'll have fellowship with God. And so I'm just wanting, I want that for you guys. I want you to have fellowship with us and thereby have fellowship with God. I want you to remember that, because that's going to come back later on in this text. I want you to have fellowship with us, and thereby you can have fellowship with God. The second reason, he says, I I'm writing you, I'm reporting this to you, because I want to make your joy complete. I want, to, I want to make my joy complete. If you listen to what we're saying, the stuff that we're not making up, the stuff that we heard from Jesus, if you just listen to this, your joy will be made complete. I'm writing that you have fellowship with us, and thereby God, and that your joy may be made complete. It's almost as if he's saying, you guys got to listen to this. I'm telling you the truth. There's so much, there's so much writing on this. You got to listen. Listen to what I'm saying to you. It's straight from God. I promise you, there's too much writing on it for you not to listen. I think I've told you guys before that my favorite movie type is uh, thriller. I love thriller movies. You know, there's romances and comedies, and those are lame, and then there's a thriller, <laughs> Right? And thrillers are these movies that thrill you. That's why they're called thrillers, okay? It's not like horror. I don't like horror. That's scary. Thrillers, okay? I'll give you an example. Thrillers are movies where there's like a novice, you know, and the novice goes to work, and sure, he's getting trained by his boss, who's 
who's like, you know, this guy's heading into retirement and he's training him, right? And of course, the, the boss goes off to vacation and that's the day when they get the bomb threat, right? And so now the novice is heading to this school with like 5,000 kids and a ticking bomb that has 120 seconds before it blows up all these kids. And there's not enough time to clear the building. And so he's on the phone with his boss and he's saying, okay, this is what I'm seeing. And oh my gosh, I can't believe you're not here and you're on vacation. He's like, and the boss like, you got to listen to me. You got to be quiet. You got to tell me exactly what you see. Tell me where the wires are going. What kind of clock is it? And, and give me everything that's going on there so I can tell you what to do. And inevitably, there is one part in the movie where the novice will tell his boss, so which wire do I cut? The red wire or the, the green one? So you've seen the same movie, <laughs> right? And, and the boss saying, you've got to tell me, you've got to listen. There's way too much writing on the line here. We cannot, we cannot get these kids out of the way. You have got to do this right. And that's almost what John is saying. He's like, listen, this is way too important for you to fly by. As we go through this series in the know, this is way too important for you to just be like, Ah, it doesn't matter. No, you've got to open your heart up and really investigate and look inside. And listen, even today, will you open up your heart up and listen to what God might want to tell you today through his word? Are you in the know? And will you challenge yourself to be in the know for the next eight weeks? John says we are speaking truth from experience. We didn't make this up. We're speaking the truth. And we're speaking the truth that leads to living in the light. Our second point, speaking truth that leads to living in the light. Speaking truth that leads to living in the light. John is speaking truth that leads to living in the light. Look at verse 5. Watch as I read. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we, claim to, if, we, if, we, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Speaking the truth that leads to living in the light. Speaking the truth that leads to living in the light. And it's really interesting what he's doing here. I'm just going to have to kind of break it down for you because he's, he's, he's kind of giving us these if-then propositions. He gives us five of them. If-then, 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 if-then. All right, so he gives you five if-then propositions, and, and, and two of them are positive and three of them are negative. All right, I would like it this way. It'd be like take an Oreo cookie, take off the top piece of it, put another Oreo cookie together, and you'd have like a beautiful thing, <laughs> like a double, a double Oreo cookies, where you have three pieces of cracker and then, and then two pieces of yummy filling, right? All right, so, and that's what, or think of it as like a Big Mac. Okay, there's three pieces of bread, and there's two pieces of meat. People say they love my food illustrations. And so there's a Big Mac, three pieces of bread, two pieces of meat, all right? And the three pieces of bread represent the negative stuff, and the two meats are the positive stuff, all right? So 
we're going we're gonna to look at this, and, and the reason I'm making this big deal out of it is because what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go out of order. We're, first, we're going to look at the three pieces of bread, and then we're going to come back and look at the two pieces of meat, and it's kind of out of order, but we're taking the negative first, and then we'll look at the positive. You get that? All right, that's where we're going. Before we do that, we've got to talk about verse 5, which says, And this is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is what? And in him is no at all. Okay, this is the launching pad verse of everything else we're going to see, okay? This is the verse that kind of sets the stage for everything else. Everything else is looking back to this verse, okay? And the idea is, is here is God, he is light, there's no darkness at all, and then we have these five com uh, comparison things of us compared to him, all right? So he's light, there's no darkness at all, and then here is us, and we're trying to compare to that light. Psalm 20, uh, 27, 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The measure of God's light is what we're being compared to. His light, his splendor, his glory, his truthfulness, his purity. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Here's the measure. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And then he hits us with the Big Mac, all right? So let's go there. We're going to look at the three pieces of bread, the three negative circumstances as it relates to light versus darkness, or really the three false claims of living in the light. I'm sorry, living in the darkness. Go to verse 6. So we're looking at living in the darkness. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Pretty simple. All right? If we claim that we might have fellowship with him, but we walk in the darkness, literally the idea is we lie to ourselves and do not believe the truth. Uh, if we walk, and the idea is the pattern of your life, so you're walking and the pattern of your life is sinfulness, all right? Here I am saying with my mouth that I live in the light, but then I'm living my life in darkness, all right? So I can say one thing, but I can live lawlessly. So I, I'm saying I have fellowship with him, but I'm walking in the darkness, and it says you're lying to yourselves. You do not believe the truth. It is the idea of resisting uh, what we call antinomianism. It just means this. I cannot say one thing and then live completely opposite and say that this is true. If I'm living opposite, then this is not true. The evidence of whether you believe is not the word or the claim of belief. What is the evidence? Your walk or your life. So how does one live in the darkness? He tells us in verse 8. He gives you an example. Let's look at verse 8. He says, don't live in the darkness. And then he gives us an example of living in the darkness in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we claim that we might have no sin, we mislead or deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is the idea of saying, hey, man, I'm a Christian, and everything is good. I don't struggle with sin anymore. I have no need for restoration. I'm good. Now, we laugh at that, but what do we do every week when we come to church? How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good, right? Presently speaking, I have no need for restoration. I'm good. I have no sin. He says if you have a heart that, says that, that, that has the audacity to say that you are continuously victorious over sin and you have no need for restoration, the truth is not in you. Then he takes it a step further in verse 10. Look at verse 10. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. 
So this kind of takes it further. Now, verse 8 said, I'm presently right now have no sin. Verse 10 says, not only am I presently not having sin issues, verse 10, I've never had sin issues. I've been good this whole time. And, and it makes a mockery of God. Why, why does it say call him to be a liar? Because why in the world would he need to send his son? If man could live perfectly on his own, why would God need to send his son to die on the cross for sin? He said, you're making a mockery out of God and his grace and his mercy when you say you have no sin and you've never sinned before. What's happening is these new converts are sitting there and there's new teachers coming in and new false teachings coming in and they're trying to figure out what to believe and apparently there's the belief out there that they're buying into that, that we have no present sin problem or that we never had one in the first place. They're claiming to be free from sin apart from Jesus. And they're living in the darkness and claiming to be in the light. They're living in sin and claiming to have fellowship with God. Living in darkness and then saying, there's nothing wrong with that. Does that sound familiar? I'll do whatever I want and then I'll just say there's nothing wrong with it. Right? Don't we live in that kind of culture today? (laughs) Where we just decide, hey, it's not wrong to do that. You ever done that before? I mean, just be honest. I'm doing this thing. I know I should, probably shouldn't be doing it. I feel bad about it. So, you know, I'll just say, it's not wrong to do that. And I can do whatever I want. Kind of sounds like our culture today. We, we oftentimes in our culture don't enjoy being vulnerable about our weaknesses. Uh, we, we, let's say it this way. We, we hold our poker hands close to our vest. And we tell no one. And confess sin. I would, are you kidding me? That is private. I don't tell nobody about that. We, we value being reserved. We value being private. We value being guarded. We don't value confession. We don't value admitting guilt, self-reporting anything. We can't even say, I'm sorry. When's the last time you told your wife you're sorry for something? And ladies don't get all excited because you're sweeter about it, but you do the same thing. Well, I would smile, but I'm still not sorry. Recently had a couple in my office, and a um, good couple. They both love Jesus, and um, just trying to get some, learn some skills on how to improve their marriage. And so we're meeting together, and I'm trying to help them with that. And as I'm watching the interaction after an hour or so, I'm watching this interaction, I say, well, let's just hold the phone for a second. And, and I know nothing about these people besides what they're telling me. I don't have any experience outside of the office there. And so... But I, I just turned to him and I said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, have you ever heard uh, your father, when you were a child growing up, did you ever hear your father say, I love you? I'm just watching this interaction and I'm, I don't know why I thought to ask that question, but I just thought, have you ever heard your father say, I love you? And he said to me, you know, the first time he told me he loved me was two years ago. And now mind you, he's, he's married about 10 years now. And it brought me to tears because it took him so long to say it. And then I said, well, can I ask you another question? He said, yeah. I said, did you ever hear your father say to you or to your mother or your mother to your father, you ever hear the words in your house, I'm sorry? He said, no, we weren't an I'm sorry house. This is a Christian upbringing, by the way, Christian household. But we don't say I'm sorry. Why? Because we have adopted the value of never being vulnerable, never being, admitting anything, never being self-reporting. 
We put the picture like everything's perfect. We put up the picture like, hey, I'm perfect and I don't struggle with sin. Hey, I've never struggled with sin. We're good at putting that picture up, just like they were doing in 1 John. And John says, that is a life that you're living in the darkness. And you need to be careful because he says things like, when you're living this life, you're not believing the truth. You're not having the truth in you. You're not having his word in you. So how should their approach be different? Let's look at the meat of the Big Mac now. Living in the light. Go to verse 7. Let's look at living in the light. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There goes that phrase again. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You know he's saying? If you believe what I'm saying and begin to self-report and begin to confess your sin, then you will have fellowship with us and you'll have fellowship with the message that we're bringing. You'll have fellowship with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you will have fellowship with God. That's what he's saying. If you will walk in the light as he is in the light, you'll have fellowship with us, which means you're having fellowship with God and the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all sin. You're not living a, a, a double life. You, you actually are living for him and he promises to forgive because you're confessing. And you can know that you are in the know when you are living in the light. He takes it a step further. How do you know you're walking in the light? Look at verse 9. It gets very specific. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we might confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous in order that he might forgive you and cleanse you is the idea from all wrongdoing. People who are walking in the light claim their sin. They get vulnerable. They self-report. They admit the wrongdoing. They confess. And he says, if you ever do that, if you ever do that and decide, okay, I'm done. I'm not hiding anymore. I'm not pretending that I've got it all figured out. I'm not pretending like I'm perfect. I'm going to confess it. You know what he promises you? He says, I promise you I will never leave you there. I will always embrace you. I will always forgive you. And the word there is to release. What does that mean? Forgive, I understand. Release, what is that talking about? I will release you from your indebtedness to me. You ever heard somebody say, I paid my debt to society when they get out of jail? He says, I will release you from your debt. I will dismiss the charges. I will forgive you. If you will come and confess and be right with yourself and say, you know what, I'm going to be honest. I'll confess. He will meet you there and forgive you. But he doesn't stop there. There's a second thing he does. He cleanses. He purifies. He removes the stain is the idea. So you come, you say, God, look, I got this big stain on my shirt. I messed up. I confess it. I admit it. I call it what you call it. It is sin. I'm wrong. He says, my son, I forgive you. And then he goes a step further. He says, now let me clean it off. So there's no imperfections on your, on your shirt. You are now a perfect being. I am cleansing you. There's no stain. There's no remembrance. It's all taken care of. 
Now, I've got, I've got to be honest with you. I have some friends who are believers who have a problem with that second part of that verse. And because, it's the, because they say to themselves, well, I just don't deserve this, or they, they're living in guilt, they're living in shame, and God said, no, I've forgiven you, and I've cleaned the stain. Don't you live in shame. I've taken care of it. I shamed my son, so I didn't have to shame you. And it's as if God is saying, I am always here. I'm always here ready to forgive you, ready to throw my arms around you, ready to, to, to release your, your indebtedness, ready to clean the stain. I'm ready to do that, but I can only do it if you'll confess. I can't forgive you anything that you're not asking me to forgive you for. I will embrace you at your lowest place, but you've got to invite me there. It is the art of pleading guilty. It is the art of the guilty plea. It is vulnerability at its best. It's claiming your sin. It's, it's self-reporting. It's confessing it. It's living in the light by bringing things out into the light. What's the big idea? How do we know when someone is living in the light of the gospel? They engage in a practice of self-reporting their sin. How do we know when someone is living in the light of the gospel? They engage in the practice of confessing, pleading guilty about their sin. No matter how much I learned from my dad to, 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 to hold things in and to never say sorry and to never confess, I'm going to break those cultural things that I've learned and I'm going to do it God's way. Do you know the Bible says confess your sins to your brothers so that what? So that you may be healed. Thank you. There's something about saying, I need help. Something about, I, I'm so sick of doing this by myself. I, I'm not going to try to do it by myself anymore. I'm ready to call it what you call it, God. I, need, I cannot do this on my own. He says he'll forgive you. And if you'll tell a brother, he'll heal you. But we live in this culture that's, I know, I know I, nobody needs this in, in this church, right? I'm talking to, this is a church, people going to church. We don't need this, right? The art of pleading guilty. The art of the guilty plea. I had a student at this church years ago, and um, because of that, I'll change his name, although I don't think anybody would know him because it's about 10 years ago now. So we'll call him Marco. And uh, Marco went to winter camp, but it's just like the students are at winter camp this weekend, and, and um, just a sweet kid. He's a little Hispanic kid, and he still had an accent. I, I just love little Hispanic kids, and especially chubby ones, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, he had a little accent. I just loved the kid. It was such a, and he was in sixth grade, and I had the sixth grade cabin because, man, in, in junior high, if you can get them at the sixth grade level and start feeding them to them then, and get a hold of them by the time they're in eighth grade, I mean, it's just a world of difference. And so I would always try to get the sixth graders. And so I had a big sixth grade group. We're all in the cabin by ourselves. And, and every night after chapel or whatever, we'd go to the cabin and, and I'd say, well, you know, it's a great day. Who wants to pray? I mean, you think about a sixth grader praying out loud in front of his peers. It's a pretty big deal. Well, Marco, big Dave, big Dave, I want to pray. I want to pray, big Dave. I said, okay, okay, Marco, you can pray. And he'd always start, I don't know where he learned this, but it's just the sweetest thing in the world. He'd say, thanks and blessings, thanks and blessings, thanks and blessings, Lord. And I don't know where he learned that, but it's just beautiful, you know what I mean? And every night he'd start off that way, thanks and blessings, thanks and blessings. I just loved it. And uh, 
The third night is when they do decision night, and, and it's when they call the kids forward, and they call them to repentance, and they call them to a relationship in Jesus Christ. And, and, uh, and Marco stayed back. And I sat by him, and, and I said, what's going on, Marco? And he says, oh, it's bad, Big Dave, it's bad. I said, well, Marco, you know, we love you. We're, we want to help you. We're, we can't help you unless you talk, and, but I, I can't force you to talk. Whatever, you know, you got to decide if you want to talk. Okay, Big Dave. But it's really bad, Big Dave. I feel really bad. I said, what's going on? And he basically told me, now he's in sixth grade. I'm thinking to myself, what can you possibly do by the sixth grade? <laughs> Did you rob a bank? <laughs> and uh, he tells me, he goes, Big Dave, I'm not a virgin anymore. And I said, I'm thinking to myself, what? And I'm trying to think, sixth grade? I mean, your pastor mind starts going, going, man, it, to get there, the, to get to that point so quickly, there, I mean, what happened in third grade that, that made you predisposed to that? Or I'm starting to think of, like, is there, is there abuse? And I start asking questions about that. I'm, so, I'm trying to figure out what I got here. Do I have a situation that, where the, I got a kid in danger? But at sixth grade already, I'm going, wow, I was just shocked to hear that. So I asked all these questions, and, and Marco, it just doesn't, it doesn't pan out. It's just like there's nothing there. And so, okay, then I start going, okay, well, let's, let's go other question around now. So Let's start doing some sex ed, okay? Sometimes we do this as pastors. And I said, um, uh, Marco, you've been to school, and I'm sure you, you, uh, you, you've already started your sex education class. Oh, yeah, yeah, big deal. I said, uh, you, so you know there's a difference between boys and girls, and they have different parts, and God made them different like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in your sex ed class, I'm sure they told you how, um, how you can get a girl pregnant, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I learned that big day, but he's kind of bashful. He doesn't want to talk about it too much, and I go, and I go, and so Marco, so that's what you did with another girl, right? And he goes, oh, no, Big Dave. Oh, no, no, never, Big Dave. I never do that. I never, never, never. So, uh, okay, so clothes never, no, clothes didn't come on. No, 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 no clothes off. No, no. I, I just kissed her on the cheek. <laughs> and I go, I go, Marco, I got good news for you. He goes, what? I go, you're still a virgin. He goes, oh, thank you. Oh, man, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, man. We go back to the cabin that night, and, uh, and of course, hey, it's a great night. Who wants to pray? And here's Mark. I'm like, Big Dave, I want to pray. I want to pray. And so I go, okay. Sure enough, he starts praying the same way he always started. Thanks and blessings. Thanks and blessings. Thanks and blessings, Lord. Thank you today that Big Dave told me I'm still a virgin. I think to myself, man, what a sweet spirit, huh? Uh, such a sweet spirit to say, I want to just get it all out. I just want to confess it. I just want to get right. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care. I'm going to get it all, every detail out there. I want to get right with my God. Or you're saying, well, that's a kid. Well, you know what Jesus says? You need to become like a child. Uh, go back to that innocence. And just say, you know what? I confess it all before you. I'm not walking alone anymore. I'm not trying to do this on my own. I'm not going to pretend like I got it all figured out. Don't you ever wish that you weren't just walking by yourself? Like, don't you ever wish there was somebody with you, praying for you in your area of struggle? My guess is if you don't ever apologize to the people around you, you're probably not apologizing to God either. Why don't you confess it? Get it out. Say, so you know what? I'm going to get right. 
And then I'm going to tell a brother, and I'm going to trust the word of God that I can get healed through it. Instead of walking by yourself. How do we know when someone is living the light of the gospel? They engage in the practice of self-reporting their sin, confessing their sin, pleading guilty. Don't you want to be in the know? Why don't you start by confessing your sin? Let's pray. Father, it's such a beautiful picture you gave us with Marco. It's a picture that says, I got to get this out. I got to get right with my God. Little sixth grade kid, and we could all learn a lesson from it. Would you help us to be vulnerable? Would you help us to flip the script on what we've learned in our lives from our parents and our home of origin and say, I'm going to confess this before my God and my brothers. I'm going to get right. How do we know if we have eternal life? Will you foster in us this desire to not walk by ourselves and to never pretend we're perfect and to always admit when we're wrong and confess our sin? Would you help us have the courage to do that? Would you help us, Lord? We want to live for you. We love you.